This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Hello, this is Emily, and you're listening to Sports and Corks. Um, the other Emily is taking this week off, so we have a guest, Colin, is here. Hello, hello. <laughs> back to uh talk some college basketball mostly so mm-hmm. we'll get right into it um first we'll talk about the men's and then the women's so on the men's side we are down to our final four we have houston versus baylor that's going to be on saturday afternoon um what were your thoughts on that houston oregon state game well it was Bummed that the Beavs couldn't keep their run going um, <laughs> for starters. Uh, they're a fun team to watch and uh, always nice to see Wayne Tinkle, who went to high school in Spokane. Uh, always nice to see him continue to have success. And um, they're a fun team to watch, but uh, that wasn't necessarily a fun game to watch. You know, the Oregon State comeback was great. Um, but aside from that, I was not very uh excited by it um just in style of play and stuff wasn't my cup of tea but uh you know houston got it done Giroux for houston is a lockdown defender he's one of the best in the country and um glad to see he was re- recovered somewhat from his hip pointer he had earlier in the tournament so uh yeah good for houston i never thought i'd say houston was in the final four but here we are <laughs> yeah i agreed on that um some people may not know, but um, Wayne Tinkle's daughter played basketball for Gonzaga. So we also have a little bit of a connection there, but they were really mm-hmm. fun to watch um, this tournament and um, definitely a very big surprise. But, you know, despite yeah, their kind of <laughs> despite their push there in the second half, just could never quite get close enough to really, you know change the way the game was going so um that was that and then Mm -hmm. baylor and arkansas that game was i don't know neither of those games were great i definitely enjoyed the baylor arkansas game more just because um muscleman is so animated on the sidelines (laughs) but that's always something that catches your eye when you're just tuning in um and baylor is a lot of fun to watch for me i mean they the ball just zips around when they play. It's never stuck in one spot. And when it is, their individual players make great plays. Um, and so it's just fun to watch them. I, I can watch them play all day long. Um, and uh, the defensive intensity is one thing, but the way that they play on offense is, uh, is fun to watch. Their team, like, where if you're watching them and they're up by 15 points, like, the whole game, you still enjoy watching it. You know, it's not like, oh, this is a blowout. Like, I'm going to turn it off. Um, exactly. I guess 15 points isn't quite a blowout, but you you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, but you know that they're going to win. You know, you don't need to watch the game to yeah. 
figure out what happens, but you watch it because you just enjoy seeing the way they play. Yeah. So uh, that's one half. Um, And then (laughs) we have the late game on Saturday, which is Gonzaga versus UCLA. So in the Elite Eight, um, I think think a lot of Gonzaga fans were at least a bit concerned about the USC matchup um, just because Mm -hmm. we don't like on paper really match up extremely well against them in some areas. But so it's kind of like, well, if, if like someone can do it, like this is a good chance, you know? Um, but that did not happen. Um, there was really no cause for concern, which was, mm-hmm. um, ended up being really nice. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not missing watching very stressful games. I will say that, um, that the conference championship against BYU was like probably the only real stressful game we've had this year that I guess West Virginia a little bit, but, um, I kind of forget, forget what that feels like a little bit. Absolutely. Um, that was something I noticed at the start of the game. You know, you had, I had those butterflies and you're like, Oh, how's this going to work out? And that was a feeling I really hadn't felt all year because, Mm -hmm. you know, the West Virginia game, it ended up close and there was a lot that happened in that game. You know, the thing that sticks out in my mind is Suggs going down with what we all thought was a catastrophic injury. And turns out he's fine. Uh, you know, relatively speaking. Um, but that was a regular season game. You know, it wasn't even in like a early season tournament. So it was just kind of, uh, the stakes obviously weren't as high as they were now. Um, and so I think that led to some of my, uh, you know, anxious feelings, but they were, they were quickly dispelled. (laughs) Exactly. After the start that Gonzaga got off to particularly on the, uh, defensive end and the way they were able to turn over, uh, USC. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty shocking. Um, but, I think like we kind of expected USC to go cold at some point. And my fear was that they were still going to have a hot game against us, beat us possibly. And then (laughs) like just absolutely go cold, you know, against Michigan is what I thought it would be in the final four. And then that would have been even more upsetting because it sucks to like lose to a team. And then they just, you know, like have really no business being in the next game. So I'm glad that didn't mm-hmm. end up that way. Um, but I had, I had a little bit of fear about that. And I, I think that UCLA is going to kind of be the same thing. Like um, not nearly as nervous about that game as I was feeling about USC, but like this might be the game where UCLA just really takes a nosedive compared to their past performances in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. I think, their game against Michigan offensively was terrible. You know, Michigan's, Michigan is a really good defensive team, and so is UCLA, but they were basically led by Johnny Juzang, and he kind of single-handedly led them to the Final Four in that game. I think he had 26 of their 51 points, something like that, almost half, if not half of them. Um, and so their team, in a way, kind of had an off night, uh, you know, um, in that game last night um and so you hope that you know from a Gonzaga fan perspective that the rest of the team doesn't necessarily figure out how to get back to maybe the way they were playing earlier in the tournament uh and then you can do enough to to limit um Johnny Juzang which you know I think is very doable with the tools that and the people that Gonzaga have on defense um but yeah 
it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting matchup for sure. And you know, two West Coast teams gotta mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I feel like Michigan also definitely helped UCLA a lot out there in that game. Like, mm. had they made just a couple less mistakes, you know, things would have gone differently. And I think that was. Yeah. Um, you know, like that Michigan-Illinois game earlier this season, kind of another indication of Michigan doing those types of things. <laughs> um, right, well, yeah. that game was a when blowout, I, but you know what I mean. Like, they, <laughs> right, they, they have can, off nights. They can be really good, but they're, yeah, like. Well, what they always, they, you know, the experts, so to speak, always say in like a 30-game season, you have 20 games that you play like right around your actual level, five games that you play, absolutely perfectly in five games that you play absolutely terribly yeah and honestly this game aside from johnny juzang and for michigan hunter dickinson early or in the first half that's kind of what it felt like for both teams is that it was one of the five games that they weren't going to be at their best and um just based on the style of play that uh those two teams play uh it was going to be a knockdown drag out defensive battle and you know like you said Michigan just made one more one more mistake or two more mistakes than UCLA did. I mean, Franz Wagner had that wide open three mm-hmm. that would have put them up and he airballed it. Like poor Franz had a terrible probably his worst game of his career. I think he finished with two points. Um, you know, and missed both of the looks late that would have either won the game or put Michigan up. And he didn't have a great game defensively either. And so I'm sure, you know, for him he's He'll always remember that game for the wrong reasons, unfortunately, but UCLA made just enough plays. <laughs> Literally just enough. Yeah, the <laughs> Michigan definitely missed a few shots there at the end that had just one of them gone in, you know, like, right. would have been a different situation, but that's how these things work. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's how the cookie crumbles. Yep. So UCLA moves on. Um, <laughs> also saw this on Twitter, kind of an interesting fact for people who... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, buy into the narrative that Gonzaga chokes in the tournament. Um, mm. <laughs> so of recent Final Fours, like these are these are teams that you are, you know, big brand names, kind of like the blue bloods of college basketball that um, nationally people, particularly people who are like somewhat casual fans, um, really respect. So in the past four years, um, Gonzaga has now made two Final Fours. UNC also has made two in the past four years. And then it starts getting worse. <laughs> so <laughs> Michigan State, two in the last five years. Um, Kentucky, two in the last six years. Michigan, two in the last seven years. So when you think about it that way, like Gonzaga is mm-hmm. definitely in in the same category um, at the top of it, actually, along with UNC at this point. So like that was something that I hadn't really thought of. Um, and when I was looking at it, I was like, Hmm, like interesting. Interesting. What, <laughs> yeah. please tell me what's different. Yeah. Point out the, uh, the uh, red herring, so to speak in the, <laughs> in the group there. Um, I mean, it's, it's an incredible run what Gonzaga has has been on. I mean, honestly, the last 
22 years, but even if you just want to focus on the last four, I mean, or the last six, if you can include that first team that made the Elite Eight again when Kyle Wilcher had the layup to go up by one against Duke with a minute left and he missed it. But um, that's neither here nor there. We could be talking about three in the last eight years, but two in the last four. I mean, the way that the tournament is set up, it's so much about it is, you know, the draw that you end up getting. And the years that Gonzaga has, quote unquote, disappointed, they've played really good teams. I mean, they made our going back to the year where they were a four seed. They made the Sweet 16 with Jeremy Pargo and, and I think Matt Bolden was on the team. And they had to play one seed UNC who had Tyler Hansborough and Ty Lawson and Danny Green and Wayne Ellington. And I mean, you know, their starting five was made up of, I think, five NBA players and Danny Green, who you know, was one of the best three-point shooters definitely of this generation and uh, is like a two or three-time champion. Um, so, you know, they're starting with that and, um, you know, the way that they've been seated in the tournament, I feel like they've been accurately seated most of the time, Gonzaga has. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the year where they were the first, first time they were the number one overall or number one seed, they had to play a Wichita State team who was criminally underseated <laughs> and also also had, you know, one of the best uh, six men in NBA history and, and Fred Van Fleet, who's turned himself into an incredible NBA player. Ron Baker played in the NBA and Clay Anthony Early also on that team played in the NBA. So three NBA players on that team when Gonzaga had one, one. and a half, if you <laughs> yeah. count. David Stockton as the would, you know the half. I would not. But. I mean, you know, he played minutes, so I think technically you have to count him. But yeah, um, yeah, you don't think of him as an NBA player. I don't. Right, and so every other year, you know, that they've adequately performed there compared to their seed. Um, and it's tough when you're a number one seed because the expectation is to make the final four, and that's regardless of what your seed is that's an, if you're a two seed that's challenging too even if the one seed loses like mm-hmm. so many things have to go right and uh you know it's just some of it's luck um but this year it feels a little bit different to me that it's not so much luck and it's actually you know the talent that this team has compared to the other teams one in their bracket but also on the national scale yeah um i don't know i just i thought that was kind of interesting because when you look at these big brands that people think of, it's like, oh, these are teams that are consistently, you know, doing well in the tournament. Like there's no, they're, they're doing just as well. They're doing better than most of these teams. Yeah. Um, And that has no bearing on their tournament success has no bearing on what conference they're in. Some people would disagree, but uh, I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, as I say that too, people would say like, oh, well, you know, Michigan and UNC, like those teams are a lot more run down by the time they get to the tournament. So it's harder for them to like make it further. But, but then people say, I don't know. Yeah. I I think, I mean, there's two sides to every story, right? And the thoughts that initially popped into my head, as I said, that was some people might say that Gonzaga only gets a one seed because they play in the WCC and they can inflate their win totals. This year, you can't make that argument because they played arguably the toughest non-conference schedule of anyone in the country. Um, you know, I know that some of their other games against, for instance, like Northwestern State or Northern mm-hmm. Arizona, they probably brought their overall metric down, but no one played in the non-conference season the number of ranked teams that Gonzaga did. 
Um, I believe they started the season with four, four of their first five games were wins over ranked opponents um, yeah. for the first time ever. And uh, so then, you know, they get a chance to kind of inflate their win loss record this year, their win record uh, in the conference play where other teams have to grind. But at the same time, Gonzaga has this year, I believe three quad one win opportunities in their non-conference regular season schedule. Two games against BYU and at St. Mary's. I don't know if the game in Spokane against St. Mary's was considered quad one or not. Michigan could have three quad one chances within the span of 10 days. Mm -hmm. Same with Illinois. Same with Baylor. You know, so Michigan, Baylor, Illinois, for instance, the three other one seeds, they have a better chance to elevate their resume late in the season. Gonzaga has to do all of that work early. Then run the table in the conference season. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because if they lose, you know, this year was maybe a little bit differently, different. But normally, if Gonzaga loses one, definitely two conference games, you can kiss the one seed goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so their margin of error, while their competition isn't as great, is essentially zero. It's when like these other teams football. can lose. Right. These these other teams exactly. These other teams can lose. You know, three four games and still get a one seed potentially, and and deservedly so. So. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting paradox. They'll never be like no one will ever or not everyone will see eye to eye on this issue. And even after Gonzaga wins a championship and probably wins multiple championships, if that happens, uh, people will still find ways to complain. That's just how it, how it yeah. works. People really don't like them. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. But, you know, what? All, all you can do is play the games that are on your schedule and that's right there's no choice in your non-conference games um they really Not can't Gonzaga's fault they really can't like go to a better there. conference because obviously the pac-12 won't take them because they don't have a football program and there's not really in the region a, a better conference well, for them than the wcc in terms of like getting better opponents on their schedule for conference play you know so they're kind of stuck right. um and i mean the people that you know, quote unquote, make the decisions and like the NCAA tournament selection committee, like they respect Gonzaga and Gonzaga has the pedigree that can earn them one seeds when they deserve it. And so to me, there's really no reason to switch conferences. Like, I don't think the reason why Gonzaga has failed to win a national championship so far is because of the conference that they play. In. You know, they were obviously right there on the doorstep in 2017 you know, you can make all the complaints you want about the refs or whatever the situation is, but at the end of the day, they fell short. And mm-hmm. that might have been partially due to, you know, the officiating. But I mean, UNC was a really good team that year. It wasn't like they lost to an upstart or a surprise team. Yeah. Um, you know, like maybe like a UConn with Kemba Walker, who, I mean, you look back even at that team and you see just how good Kemba is. And it's not that surprising that they were able to make those runs. Um, and so it's just, you know, how the cookie crumbles. Basketball gods didn't shine their light toward Gonzaga, but it'll happen and they're only getting better. So they don't need to move conferences to appease the Twitter trolls and, <laughs> you know, potentially win a national championship. They can do that without leaving the WCC. Yeah, I think the big difference between then and now, too, is like um, their recruiting classes every year get, have gotten so mm-hmm. much better. I mean, even then, they, when they were in that mm-hmm. title game, they, it was like really good team obviously but um like if you can get these types of recruits then what and you're in the wcc then like you don't need to leave really Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, right 
and there's also really nowhere for you to go that would be better. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, kind of a it is what it is situation. <laughs> um, so really quick, who do you think is going to win these games, and then who do you think is going to win the title? Yeah, uh, I think Gonzaga will be UCLA, and I think Baylor will be Houston. We're destined for the, in my opinion, the Gonzaga Baylor matchup that we didn't get earlier in the non-conference season. Um, I think both of those teams will win their uh, final four games by double digits. And I think Gonzaga will take down Baylor in the title game. Do you think, uh, like, do you think if they, if Gonzaga wins the title game, like that it would be a single digit win or what? Um, I think it would probably, my guess is would be one of those games where it's like maybe five points, you know, late, like with 50 seconds left. And then, Gonzaga gets a bucket and Baylor has to start fouling mm-hmm. and kind of balloons. So makes I think it, the whole game is kind of going to be close as it was. Exactly. Yeah. I think the whole game is going to be like a seesaw affair. One team goes up by four, the other one goes up by two, you know, kind of back and forth like that. And then maybe Gonzaga opens a gap late. That would be my, my prediction. I could see them get building up like a, like a 10 or a 12 point lead at some point, And then Baylor making it close again um, mm-hmm. to the point where like Gonzaga has to, mm-hmm you know, really like, buck, buckle down, down again. Yeah. I, I don't think that yeah. would be an easy, I, it's not, if, if that's what the matchup ends up being, I don't think it's going to be like a gimme game. <laughs> It'll be a um, great game. Could yeah. very easily be the college basketball game of the season. So should be fun. Um, I'm with you there on, on same picks. Um, mm-hmm. On the women's side, have you been watching any of the women's? Uh, yeah, I checked tournament? out, obviously, you know, watched, watched Gonzaga. Um, and I saw some of the, uh, UConn Baylor game specifically the end of it mm-hmm. um and you know kept tabs on on the other games but didn't have a chance to tune in yeah it's kind of a bummer that the tournaments are scheduled like at the exact same time yeah. um but they've been getting really good viewership numbers um and social media engagement on the women's tournament which yeah, is very great. good to see which is awesome I mean it's you know I don't want to say it's surprising but the fact that they are scheduled at the same time and that there's been that level of interaction with the women's tournament is is awesome and great it seems like this year is kind of the first year that um that at least publicly has been the case that where you heard about it um and i'm like what's changed and the only thing i can really think of is kind of like um the light that a lot of nba players have shown on women's basketball over the past year um, and then just, you know, things becoming more equitable as time goes on. Um, yeah, but. I was going to say the same thing. That's the, that was the first thought that came to my mind. And I think there's a certain level of, uh, parody in women's college basketball now that maybe there wasn't before, you know, historically it was always, Oh, you kind of win. So why would mm, I watch? Yeah, but, okay. you know, this year, I think that there's a good balance of teams. Um, and, uh, there's also a lot of star power in the, in the tournament. I mean, you know, the matchup between Iowa and UConn, I believe in the sweet 16 featured two freshmen who, you know, are some of the best players in the country. Uh, and so having that star power for four players that are so young, I think helps people get excited, um, you know, and tune in a little bit more than, than maybe might happen if, if some of the teams were more senior laden, should we say? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so for the women's final four, the matchups are South Carolina versus Stanford. Um, South Carolina 
did not let Texas score in their elite eight game um, in the entire fourth quarter, which is insane. Incredible. Um, <laughs> and then Stanford, like pretty well handled Louisville um, in their elite eight game. Uh, Stanford also has two players from Gonzaga, uh, Lacey and Lexi Hull, or sorry, not from Gonzaga, from Spokane. Um, they're kind of one and the same, I suppose. Um, yeah. So two Spokane players Central, on the Stanford Central team. Central Valley cool. alumni. Yeah. Uh, Central yeah. Valley High School. Yeah. When I was, uh, when I was in school in Spokane, um, Emily, our, our family friend, Bob Sandal was a coach of the women's team at Cambridge High School over in Seattle. And he asked me to go film some of the, <laughs> the games of Central Valley. So I oh actually watched Lacey and Lexi Hole in the, in the uh, district championship game in Spokane. And they, I think they played, uh, they played uh, Lewis and Clark, wait, uh, yeah, Lewis and Clark High School. That's the one that's right on the oh, yeah, That's so funny. Small uh, world. And they, they ran circles around them. It was, and, and uh, Lewis and Clark had, a, I believe, someone who ended up playing Division One on their team. They shut her down, but four of the five starters on that high school team for Central Valley went on to play Division One. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. And two it's, of them went to Stanford. <laughs> such a small world, too, like having grown up where we grew up. Um, mm-hmm like you would play against some of these schools, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, very weird. We'd always lose, but well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not too surprising. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's our first final four game for the women's side. And we also have Arizona versus Yukon. Um, same thing, Arizona, like pretty well um, handled Indiana in their elite eight game. Nothing really like close there. Um, and then Yukon, barely beat Baylor by two points. Mm. It was a 69 to 67 win, but there was a lot of controversy following that game um, for multiple reasons. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, so I'm worried, you know, like whenever you freeze frame something, you can, it's easy to see how obvious of a foul it was, Mm -hmm. but in real time, sometimes that's not always the case. Yeah. And it definitely was a foul. There was no verticality maintained. Um, There was a lot of contact on the arm as well. So it should have been a foul. But then I looked again and I looked where the officials were positioned. And where they were, there was no good angle for them to see that there was contact, that there was enough contact other than, you know, defenders being straight up and uh, maintaining verticality. You know, the officials were like the baseline official was on the opposite block. And the official that was on the side of the court where the play happened was kind of directly behind it. And the other official, because of where they position them in a, in a triangle, is on the other side of the court, like over by um, the uh, the hash mark where you would take the ball out if, uh, you know, it went out of bounds on the side or something. And so that official who was, you know, on the other side of the court had the best view of whether or not the um, – the Yukon players maintain verticality, but you know, that officials, whatever the 35, 40 feet away, and there's a lot of arms in the way. So while the refs missed the call, just the way that it just happened to work out and where the refs were at that position and they were in the correct position, they, none of them had like a good look at the, at the play, which obviously is frustrating, especially after seeing the replay, but you know, kind of the theme of the day, theme of March. That's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be an official. <laughs> mm. No. And I mean, right. 
I, I didn't watch that game closely, but you know, you think you maybe they get 95% of the calls, right? 90% of the calls, you know, I mean, just like as the teams continue to advance, the officials advance as well. And so at this point in the tournament, you've got some of the best officials in college basketball refing these games. And, you know, so they get 95% of the calls, right. And you, know, you miss one and that's what everyone's going to remember, which yeah. it, it's a, it's a thankless job. It's, I was when was the say, last yeah, time? You're never the good guy. Yeah. When was <laughs> or, the last time you heard someone say, wow, that game was officiated so well. Like, you know, it just doesn't happen. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's like a traffic violations, like officer mm-hmm. or something. No one's ever going to like right. you. No one likes that person. It's like, oh, that was a good ticket. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, sorry for the refs. It's, I don't know how you do it. Um, but, <laughs> and then after the game, uh, the Baylor yeah. women's head coach, Kim Mulkey, Kim Mulkey. Uh, um, wow. Basically well, her mask, um, wearing or like fidgeting was just I, incredible. Um, I, someone, I wish <laughs> I could remember who tweeted this, but someone was like, nothing says I haven't worn a mask in the last year like this video. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's 100% true. Or like, I don't care fact, about COVID. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, her comments about like, yes. oh, we shouldn't test people who are, I mean, that's, that is, that's more egregious than the mask error, error, errors. But yes. after watching the mask video, I'm not <laughs> at all surprised that she was the one that said that. Like, had you told me two different people or two people had said those quotes or you had given me the quote and shown me the video, I would have been like, yeah, I could see how Kim Mulkey would make that comment about not testing for COVID. I mean, it's not like she was looking in a mirror and things were like, you know, backwards. (laughs) She was like continuing to like pull her mask the wrong way. I've never Mm -hmm. seen that. It's (laughs) it's been a long year and I've seen a lot of interesting mask techniques. That is one I have not seen. Yeah. Um, And for those who don't know, she basically said that, she doesn't think that the players in the tournament should be tested for COVID because what if that rules players out basically? Um, and they can't compete. It's like, yeah, that's the, final four. the whole point. <laughs> exactly. Um, but <laughs> so yeah, interesting. Lots of, lots of stuff on, on the Twitter sphere about that. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but some very exciting information. Um, this is the first time ever that two black women will coach in the women's final four. So, um, Adia Barnes from Arizona and, uh, Dawn Staley from South Carolina. So things that you love to see. Absolutely. Uh, who do you think are going to, will win these games? And then who do you think will win the title on the women's side? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would like to see Stanford, Arizona, just to wrap Mm -hmm. the West coast, West coast, best coast, PAC 12 conference of champions. But I really think it's actually going to be South Carolina and UConn. I mean, South Carolina defensively, anytime, I mean, regardless of who you're playing, if you can hold a team uh, scoreless for an entire quarter, that is remarkable, let alone have it happen in the Elite Eight against Texas, who was, you know, a a top 25, top 15 team throughout the whole season. Um, So I think, you know, I'll give the edge to South Carolina. I would love to see Stanford pull the upset. but we'll go South Carolina. And then I think UConn will beat Arizona somewhat handily. Yeah. I think, yeah, kind of that UConn-Baylor game was a, was a tough draw as, as <laughs> Baylor gets the two seed in that region. But again, that's how the cookie crumbles. And um, 
I think, yeah, Paige Beckers will just be too much for, for Baylor. And she's, she's having an incredible season and incredible March. And it'll be great to see, you know, the, the South Carolina, who I believe was more, was at number one for more weeks than UConn was this season, go up against, uh, you know, Beckers versus that and UConn as a whole against uh, South Carolina. And then I'll go with UConn. I, the star power always helps in, in March and, Beckers is on another level. Uh, and I mean, the fact that she's a freshman, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, there has the, the last freshman to probably dominate college basketball uh, that I can remember like that. Exactly. Yeah, or Brittany no, Griner. well, Brittany Griner, but also, uh, I was thinking Brianna Stewart, but oh. I can't remember now they were around the same age. I think Brianna Stewart was a little bit later, but you know, those two definitely come to mind. Yeah. Um, so you've got UConn winning. Yep. yep. UConn okay. over South Carolina. I was going to say Stanford, UConn with mm. Stanford winning, but you've convinced me. I, I, love I, it. I, I, think, <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> now I'm like the def- South Carolina's defense, um, South Carolina, UConn with UConn winning. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know though. I, it's going to be, I think, yeah. I, I think that, know, that, that South Carolina Stanford game could go either way just depends on how good defensively South Carolina is in that game. Right. Yeah. If they have a similar performance as they did against Texas, it's going to be tough to see, you know, hardly anyone beating them. It might take UConn to beat them or they might not even get it done. But uh, I think the women's final four, both the semifinal games and then the championship game, knock on wood, will be more competitive than the the men's games. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking the same, which is a good reason for people to watch. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, there's that. And wouldn't it be mm-hmm. funny? Uh, well, not really funny, I guess, but um, <laughs> happy if um, Paige and Jalen Suggs um, both yeah. won titles because they're very close Minnesota friends. Minnesota people. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that'd be that great. Would be quite the story. We'll see if it happens. Um, but there's your there's your women's bracket. Um, and then what game intrigues you the most this week of all these? Well, what's your game of the week? You know, the. The only game that is scheduled that, or not the only game, I'm interested in all eight of these games, but the one that has my interest the most is Gonzaga UCLA for obvious reasons. I would have loved to be able to put Gonzaga Baylor, but I'm not going to take any chances. Oh, no, <laughs> um, we are not knocking on wood right now. I'm a very superstitious boom, person. <laughs> just knocked on wood three Thank times. You. So, uh, I'll go Gonzaga UCLA. I'm a big Jaime Hawkins fan from from UCLA. He just, I mean, you see his face. He doesn't look anything like what you would expect like, a Division One basketball player to look like. Exactly. Yeah, very similar. Like and the they face. both like they both bring their hard hat and lunch pail of work. They do it all. You know, <laughs> the dirty work. But then they also dominate on the offensive end when they need to. You know, maybe Timmy a little bit more than Hawkins. But Hawkins has had clutch moment after clutch moment in the tournament. And uh, I'm excited to see Jaime Hawkins and Johnny Juzang against, uh, uh, you know, the best defense left in the tournament in the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Very good. Um, I picked Baylor Houston just because I think that would be the closer game between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, again, knock on wood. So that's really my only reason for picking. Yeah. Obviously, like more excited to watch the Gonzaga game. But um, that's what I got. Uh, what's your hot take this week? My hot take of the week is that spring is the worst season 
A lot of people like mm. spring. Oh, you know, we're emerging from the winter. The sun's coming out again. It's warming up. Beautiful flowers. I get all that. But where Emily and I grew up, <laughs> it went straight from winter to no spring. It was essentially mud season. All of the snow melts. Everything is gross and brown and dirty and muddy and wet. It rains all the time. The sun is, you know, almost non-existent and you just get really dirty. And then all of a sudden, you know, end of May, June rolls around, maybe sometimes later. And it's 70 plus every day, sometimes into the 80s and you got beautiful sunny weather. So spring for me is the worst season. I'm slowly, you know, living in Seattle now. Spring is better than it was in Sandpoint. Mm -hmm. I'm slowly learning to enjoy it more. It's been nice to see the flowers essentially since like February. <laughs> and today was actually the first day we broke. Uh, it was the warmest day of the year. I think it got up to 61 here in Seattle. Um, you know, and so I'm learning to enjoy it more. But summer, fall, and winter are just so awesome because of I mean, summer, who doesn't love summer? Fall, you get the beautiful fall leaf colors and sports kind of come back. And then winter, I'm a big skier. So uh, I enjoy doing that, even if the weather, you know, on paper isn't that great. Um, and so that's why I say spring is the worst season. <laughs> I think that's a hot take for sure, because I, I feel like most people would say winter is the worst. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, what we grew up with, it was <laughs> like snow, clouds. More yeah. snow, mud, yeah. rain, yeah. more That's mud. That's the other thing about spring. You might, you might get the uh, the occasional late April, early May snowstorm. And oh, I don't yeah, want, That's... At that point, I don't want that. No, no. I guess don't that want might be considered that. winter. But. Um, <laughs> what, what about you? What's your hot take? So um, Jen Shaw, she's one of the real housewives of Salt Lake City. Um, it was a very mm -hmm. controversial character on the, the inaugural season of that show this past <laughs> year. Um, and she has been indicted on um, a bunch of white-collar crime charges. Um, like It sounds like she was involved in scamming seniors, um, which is pretty... Wow terrible um yeah. with her one of her assistants uh she calls this group the shaw squad and um <laughs> not even a good name <laughs> everyone is like people who watch the show or know like follow bravo tv at all um a lot of 20 something women um <laughs> seem to be very shocked by this news and my hot take is that this is not surprising the least bit. Um, she is married to a special teams coordinator for the Utah um, football team. Which, go Utes. Yeah, <laughs> go Utes. Um, <laughs> and, the champions. Yeah. And if you, if you watch this show, like the way she is living, she and her family are living is so incredibly lavish. Um, she doesn't, she never talks about like having, you know, come into a lot of family money or anything. Um, clearly her husband is not making enough money to support this lifestyle. She doesn't appear to like really have, I mean, she has like, I don't know, she might have a skincare line or something, you know, like that kind of stuff, but it, it just doesn't, it never added up. Um, it so compute. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so my hot take is that like, this is something that people should have expected all along. Um, there are a lot of people like, who are stars on Bravo TV shows who get into trouble for white collar crimes at some point or another. So this is like nothing new and it totally makes sense to me that she was the next one. Um, but <laughs> just a very, mm -hmm. very interesting story. Um, also fun fact, they had a, like a, 
some sort of a hearing, I think, over Zoom for her and her assistant um, with the court. And apparently 200 participants were allowed into this call and like fans of the show were in the call. And there were so many people on the call that they hit the limit and she hadn't signed on yet. So they had to reschedule the hearing because she couldn't get into the call. And I'm very confused as to the legal system, like why these random people are just allowed to, like, how do they get access to it? I don't know. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs, but it seems like, you know, in a normal year, if it was a public hearing, you know, or some sort of, I think it's open to the public. Yeah, yeah And so is. I guess, you know, the city of Salt Lake has continued to make, probably legally they have to continue to make these things like open. And I bet you, you know, right, they, for every other case so far in the past year, they've probably gotten like, I don't know, maybe. Like a couple two, media three, members, four. maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a and, couple journalists you know, This is obviously, obviously a different situation. And I think it just got out of hand. <laughs> just, so. And then her assistant, who like people somewhat know from the show, like people who watch mm -hmm. the show know of him, but otherwise you wouldn't know who he is. Mm -hmm. Um he was in the Zoom meeting and the judge or whoever was like, okay, well, we're going to have to reschedule this, I guess. And his lawyer was like, oh, um, I have Stuart here. Uh, like, Can we, are we gonna his portion? Yeah, like, <laughs> and they were like, all right, we're, we're going to reschedule it. Come back next time. Wow. Poor Stuart. So it, it just seemed like a very hot mess. Pretty comical. So um, that's that. Um, what... I know you're not a huge wine person, but do you have like right. a, a good beer or seltzer recommendation um, that you've had lately? Well, I do have, now that I think of it, I do have some wine in my fridge. Got some Oyster Bay in there, but oh, yeah. I did not open it. Um, I might open it with dinner tonight. Um, mm, nice. But so I, I uh, found this at the uh, my local grocery store known as uh, Fred Meyer. Um, <laughs> Only Northwesterners know. <laughs> That's right. Unite. Um, it's a limited release from uh, Deschutes Brewing, which I believe yep, is headquartered in Bend, Oregon. Yep. Uh, great place. And it is called Neon Daydream Hazy Ale. It's a nice, uh, got some citrus elements to it. It's bright. Uh, I would say it's a good summer beer. But when I looked on their website, they'll release a summer ale in, in the summer. And so this is like their springtime beer. Um but yeah, it's uh, you know got a little bit more bitterness than your classic, uh, you know, lager pilsner, which isn't too surprising. But it's definitely not too hoppy, and uh, it's great on a nice sunny day. Perfect for Seattle spring. <laughs> I I mean, just today, you know, that was the day to drink, and I can't drink it any other day. <laughs> sure, like the hand, yeah, the days when when it is like a nice sunny spring day. Yep. Um, well, I, of course, had to celebrate um, the Elite Eight win, and mm -hmm. um, again, very superstitious, so I did not buy this ahead of time. Um, I got it today, um, wow. but <laughs> I've had it before. It's called La Bella Prosecco. Um, it's extra dry Prosecco, so if you don't like sweet wines, it's good for you, um, and plan on having a, a glass of that tonight. I might throw in some mango uh, cranberry juice as well. Man, so. a little evening mimosa. An evening mimo. <laughs> <laughs> a PM mimo. Yeah, <clears throat> it's they're underrated. But maybe that's my hot take. I don't know if I've ever had a mimosa afternoon. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Got to do it. Um, so there we go. Um, if anyone has questions for us regarding really anything, sports, um, quirks or anything in between, (laughs) you can send caps. Yeah. Um, if you have, yeah, really anything random you want to ask, you can email us at sports and quirks, uh, typed out at gmail.com. And thanks for um, people who have sent in topic suggestions. We'll get to those after March Madness is over. Um, other than that, check out Tailgate Society podcasts. Um, you can find really any of those by just searching that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last thing, bigger than sports moment. Uh, recently, Luka Doncic, I always get tripped up saying that. That is right, though. <laughs> I always feel like I'm saying it wrong, and I'm like, I know it's right, but um, <laughs> he recently donated 100 pairs of Jordans to uh, Dallas vaccination clinic workers, and um, th- there are some fun photos of the the mm-hmm. workers in their scrubs um, with their J's on. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it was just kind of a fun thing, and they seem to they seem to like it and he uh, made a video for all of them since he obviously can't no one's doing in person player oh, appearances right. but just kind of a something out of the box i guess to yeah go Luka. to show appreciation versus like a meal delivery or something that maybe has gotten a little stale for our frontline workers mm. <laughs> both figuratively and literally maybe <laughs> i'm sure it's all appreciated but i just liked how this right. was kind of a unique thing so good change um, of face but yeah, thanks for uh, hopping on, and um, Emily should be back next week. So yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right, go Zags. Booyah. Emily and Emily, sports and courts.